Do you ever think like a giraffe looks at another giraffe and they're like, damn girl, you know, like that? Are we talking about giraffe erotica right now? Hello, I'm Mark. I'm Justin. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Today, we're going to cover crying for attention, the placenta, KiwiCo and STEM toys, and photo sharing apps. But first, the updates. Justin, what have you got for us today? Uh, well, Yumi and I now have a two-week-old baby in the house. So there have been a few little updates that I thought would be fun to mention. Uh, we're still on the schedule. You know, it's all about that uh, every three to four hour feeding schedule. And that's kind of what our lives revolve around at this point. But uh, the real interesting update, I think, is that our baby just yesterday lost his umbilical cord. Oh, nice. Yeah, the little section there. Uh, and it was on day 14, I think. So he was exactly two weeks old. I had read that the umbilical cord will usually go around one week. It usually says like three to seven days or longer. And we were definitely mm. in the or longer camp. Interesting. In Japan, this is a bit of a cultural thing, but the umbilical cord is called the heiso no o. And it basically, heiso means belly button. And then the o means like the mm -hmm. end or the extremity of something. So the heiso no o, like the extremity of the belly button. And uh, they cut it a bit longer in the beginning, uh, you know, when the doctor's uh, cutting the umbilical cord. I think in the U.S., according to my uh, family members who have had kids recently, they'll leave just like a little half inch, sort of a nub of the umbilical cord. Mm -hmm. But in Japan, they'll go maybe an inch and a half, I would say like three centimeters or more. And uh, they leave that. So the kid's got this sort of dangly bit of umbilical cord. And then it's common practice to keep it, as we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where this box came from, but a little box showed up. It's about the size of like <laughs> a like a matchbox or something, but it's wood. And it's the type of, mm. you know, two wooden sides that sort of slide together and fit snugly. And it's got some nice, uh, like, gold leaf looking print on the top. It's got a picture of a crane and a picture of a turtle and then some, uh, some kanji characters. And it's got a little white kind of folded up origami looking envelope. And you hmm. slide the heisou no o, the little, you know, three centimeter part of umbilical cord in there, keep it in the box. And then you put that in a drawer to freak somebody out several decades from now. Nice. And uh, that was the big thing. That was really the major thing. But um, hmm. how about you guys? Uh, what's it looking like on your end? It's uh, it's looking different right mm -hmm. now. Moe's last checkup, uh, the the baby still hadn't flipped. So we, we have ourselves a C-section appointment. Oh, interesting. And if everything goes as planned, the birthday will be March 24th. Okay. And it seems a little early. And even the doctor said it was a little early to schedule it. But I guess... Their C-section slots are filling up really fast. Apparently, this is a popular thing at that hospital. So so we had to get it scheduled earlier. And even when she was picking it, this was last Tuesday now, there was only three days that she could choose from. Yeah, we had ours ages in advance. I want to say it was, it was over a month, maybe two months in advance. They had it scheduled. And they said it was for exactly that reason, just to get it on yeah. the books because the slots kind of fill up. Yeah, I think it's just that. Yeah, so she had three days to choose from. She had uh, March 24th, 25th, and 29th. And I guess she didn't have much time. She just had to choose them right there just in case somebody else picked one. Mm -hmm. um, so she went with the 24th, 
And I guess the main reason she chose that day is because it happens to fall on the luckiest day of the Japanese luck calendar, okay. the, the Rokuyo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we talked about this in a previous episode. That's the six-day kind of rotating calendar that predicts whether a day will be have good or bad fortune. Yeah, very famously used in planning weddings. You right. just basically want to avoid the unlucky day, Butsumetsu, right. and then you'll pay a premium to get that super lucky day. Exactly. I wonder if they marked up your C-section at all, choosing the lucky day. You got to slip them like an extra hundred on that. <laughs> she didn't say so. That prime appointment. But the 24th does happen to fall on that luckiest day, the tie-on day. Mm. So yeah, he'll be he'll be a lucky baby, I guess. Yeah, coming on congratulations. That That's half the battle. I wanted to say though, like I was curious, I, I kind of liked the, uh, the 29th as mm-hmm. a day. But um, I guess in Japan, that day is not considered lucky because anything that kind of ends with nine, ku, generally people avoid for things like birthdays and that kind of thing because ku also means like suffering, agony, and torture. <laughs> so nobody, yeah. nobody wants their birthday associated with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which makes sense. <laughs> You've also, you're treading on that same ground though with the 24 because the four is the other unlucky number, of course. That's true. Yeah, uh, I mean, the she in four. Yeah, but I think the 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 fact that the twenty fourth is a is a tie in day, it, it trumps that. To yeah, to, oh yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, it overrides. Yeah, I I went through a parking lot one time. Like you'll notice, the four and the nine are omitted many times in Japanese mm. society because the four yeah. means death and nine means pain and suffering, and so you'll see parking spots numbered one, two, three and then five, six, seven, eight, and then 10, and they just cut them mm. out. And it seems very unlucky to me to skip numbers because it just seems like it must add to confusion and like counting up the actual number of spaces and stuff. And I always feel yeah. like it's it has to contribute to unluckiness to be missing numbers all over the place. But that's just my commentary. No, I don't think so. They do it in the States too with 13. You'll never see like a 13th floor. Yeah, I, well, one time I was walking through a big parking lot with numbered spaces at a shopping mall. And it was insane because you've got to get rid of the four. So you lose all of the forties. They're all gone. Oh, right. But then beyond that, you lose the 39 cause it's got the nine at the end. So it mm. went straight from 38 to 50 in the <laughs> numbering of the spaces. And it's like, you guys have no idea how many spaces you actually have, how to find them. Right. Like, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so ridiculous. that always blows my mind. 24 yeah. is, um, that's a good solid number. We're a big fan of that number. Um, my hmm. wife's last name and my son's middle name are both Nishi and mm-hmm. Neat is two and Sheet is four, two, four. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the family number around these parts. Oh, nice. Yeah. You'll see like my wife's family, they'll have 24 on their license plates and that sort of thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, don't steal our baby. Okay. We'll try not to. <laughs> all I can promise. Uh, I would have been against 29, by the way, because it's a prime number and that just unsettles me. Oh, I would like it. I like kind of like it because it's a prime number. Oh yeah. It's a little (laughs) unique, a little out there. Yeah. I like things to be easily divisible. Uh, so give me that 24. It's all over the place. You got, I mean, everything goes into it. Just factor all day long. But I also, I also like the 29th, uh, because generally in Japan, 29 is considered, um, Niku Nohi, which means meat day. Uh, meat day, okay. 
I don't know if you've ever heard this before. <laughs> I have not. No. Wow. Well, I guess you're not a meat eater, so this wouldn't yeah. be for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just the 29th at like yakitori places, they'll have a big discount or big promotion or something. I think so. I think that's generally how it works. I've been to a couple of places that have prominently shown this before and mm. yeah, it's kind of their, their day. They're like, yep. Niku day. Come, come eat it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I get it because the two nine is Niku. Yeah. Instead oh, okay, of like, okay. Niju Q Nichi. It's Niku Ki. Uh, okay, okay. I was uh, just thinking if they chose it randomly, they sold themselves short because you know you're counting out February, three out of four years. You got. I no guess there, I was looking this up, and I guess there was a special every four years it'll come around, and then the, the yakiniku places will have like special meat day. Oh, like, I bet it's massive. Yeah, I think it's it's a pretty big day for them. <laughs> yeah. On the same topic, do you celebrate Pocky Day? I do not know what that is. You know, Pocky, the little candy, eh? Like the pretzel stick that's dipped in chocolate. Oh, yeah. And it's just like a little straight line of pretzely chocolate or chocolatey pretzel. Are they pronounced Pocky? I think I've always called them Pokey. Uh, well, in Japanese, it would be Pokey. Yeah. And in English, I think we say Pocky. Oh, okay. I think somebody told me that initially from Japan then. So I've always just said Pokey. Yeah, it might. Yeah, Pokey is probably more accurate. But I didn't know there was a day for them either. Yeah. Can you guess what the day is? What is Pocky Day? Nope, no idea. It's November 11th, 1111. And then you can hold up two Pocky in each hand and make 1111. Oh, that makes sense. I thought it was something with the wording Po and Key, but nope. Yeah. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> this is a straight up visual holiday. Uh, it encourages you to buy at least four Pocky Six on that nice. day. So they're nice. cashing in. To get back to kind of the updates a little bit. One of the reasons the doctor thinks like it's most likely to be a C-section this time mm-hmm. is because the baby's in this kind of weird diver's pose position. So he's mm-hmm. upright. His head's on Moe's right side and his back and butt go around to the left. And then his feet are just kind of straight up Hmm. right next to his head. So his legs are straight, his feet are next to his head, and he's in this position where the doctor's like, oh, he's not moving. Plus, he's also like a week ahead in weight. So she thinks he's too big to be able to maneuver himself back around. Hmm. We're pretty sure it's going to be C-section and it's going to be the 24th. Yeah, that makes sense. I've got the old reference book here in front of me, and um, mm. they illustrate this. I've seen a picture of this before. So if you have what to expect when you're expecting, again, the new fifth edition, mm. and you turn to page 352, uh, it says, how does your baby lie? And it's got illustrations. And the one I think you're talking about is um, Frank Breach. That's what it says mm. here. This baby's head is up at the top and he's got both of his feet like right next to his forehead. That doesn't look like the most comfortable thing in the world. It does not, does it? The Frank breach. (laughs) I think that's fine. I'm a little relieved just because hearing your guys' experience with C-section, it doesn't sound as terrible as it it was in my mind before. Mm -hmm. I know the recovery period is longer, but as far as like the actual birth process, it's quicker, it's less damaging to the baby potentially and easier even for the mother yeah i'm looking forward to that plus you know he'll be here sooner so that's cool yeah and one thing my wife sort of liked about the c-section was that it cuts down the anticipation of when are you going to go into labor and right then 
on the other end of that is like, okay, I've started labor. Is this going to take three hours? Mm. Is it going to take 48 hours? Like who knows? And it's just yeah. a lot of trepidation. I think that um, yeah. goes into the waiting for the surprise moment. So all that gets erased and you've got it in the schedule book. Yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting, this hospital that we're going to, they said that Moe will be in there for seven days total. Mm-hmm. And the first day she gets there is going to be C-section day. So they're oh, going to wow. do like PCR test, make sure that's negative, put her straight into the into the delivery room, go through all that, and then that's going to be that. And then she's there for another six total days. Mm-hmm. So on the seventh day, then I will be able to go and pick her up. So far, though, I don't think I'll be anywhere near any of that stuff. I don't even think I'm allowed in the front doors of the hospital. So wow. I'm not going to get any 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 time other than FaceTime. That's interesting. I uh, So her stay is similar to my wife's stay other than my wife had the three-day quarantine in the beginning. But she right. was on the similar, like uh, the C-section day is day zero, and then I picked them up on day six. So it was a seven-day mm-hmm. stretch there. Um, yeah. And I could go, I saw the baby in the hallway for about two minutes, um, mm-hmm. but it was very limited. You know, my wife's parents went to the hospital, but they had to stay downstairs in the lobby. And then I was the only one who could go up and, and see, right. uh, when I picked my wife up at the hospital, there was a guy sitting next to me on the bench near the elevators waiting. And his wife was just having a baby at that time. And he had mm. two other sort of older kids, I would say one was eight or nine and the other was probably 14 or 15 and they were all up there. So I guess if there were brothers and sisters involved at the Kanazawa University Hospital anyway, they're all sort of allowed in. But um, that's interesting. That'll be worth um, hearing all the policies on. You mean the irritating policies? Yeah. Yeah, the sort (laughs) of necessary evil policies or half necessary evil. I don't know at this point. Are they necessary? I mean, I'm not trying to take away from any any like necessary COVID measures that are going on, but to see two hospitals so close to each other having such drastically different policies is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's just there are probably variables that we can't see, like what's mm-hmm. going on behind the scenes and what is that hospital set up to handle and then how risk averse do they want to be and there are people in boardrooms making those decisions for each hospital, I guess. So you're much more pragmatic about it than I am. Yeah. I'm kind of (laughs) forgiving of it. Uh, I always defer to experts. I mean, I just want people smarter than me to tell me what to do in all instances, Mm -hmm. you know, and I assume that the people high up in the hospital have the relevant expertise. So I just kind of follow along more or less blindly and I'm happy to do it. Uh, So I, in the end, look at it as a necessary evil. Uh, It did give me, you know, it was something we talked about before. I felt pretty frustrated about it when I first learned about the policy. But then Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I was thinking this is part and parcel of a country that takes coronavirus seriously. And so Mm, when, when I'm like 75 years old, you know, we'll be on our eighth major pandemic by that point. But whatever the (laughs) thing is. If I'm in Japan, I can be relatively certain that they're not going to hang me out to dry at that age to just say like, well, good luck. We're going to lose a lot of you. You know, Japan will bend over backwards probably to to look out for my well-being at that point. Mm, that's true. So that was how I rationalized it anyway or justified it to myself. But it is very awkward and uh, sucks in the beginning for sure. Yeah, I'll try to be more forgiving going forward. 
I'm still maybe after the birth, I'll calm down a little more and be more accepting. One thing I wanted to say is you'll get that six day window where you have to stay home and you've got the baby in the world, but you won't be able Mm. to see him. And then it's like the parents or at least it's the dad's mandatory vacation time. Just sit at home and do nothing. And we're taking care of your wife and your baby Mm. and all their meals and all the diaper changing and all the feeding and all that. That's by necessity. It's out of your hands. So you've got this last ditch vacation of like six days and there is no way to appreciate it when right. you're on that side of the childbirth. It's only right. only after the baby arrives do you realize <laughs> how much you should have cherished those six days of just sort of doing nothing or being able to get things done. Okay, I, c- I can hear what you're saying to me. Yeah, <laughs> when you're in the run up to it, it's just like, oh yeah, I guess I'll just keep watching Netflix like I always did. <laughs> and not realizing how precious those moments are of your final alone time for the rest of your life. <laughs> cool. That's something to look forward to. I'll try to, yeah. if hopefully the weather's better and I could do get some cycling days in. Oh yeah. That'll be good. Cause that won't happen after the baby probably Absolutely for a while. Not. Well, we can get into segment time if you're ready for it. I am ready for segment time. Let's do it. First thing I wanted to talk about is um, we had a discussion about this in the last few days here at the house, and it is, uh, when do you let the baby cry it out? And I think this is a big question Mm. on the minds of new parents. Um, Do you effectively teach your baby a lesson by letting the baby cry a bit? And maybe he realizes, oh, my problem wasn't that bad to begin with. And he chills and you don't (laughs) get him sort of addicted to being picked up every time he opens his little mouth. Um, But then on the other side of it, it's like, well, how manipulative can a two-week-old baby even be? And uh, these were questions that I had, so I dutifully looked them up. I read a number of articles from a number of different sources, and they all more or less boiled down to the same thing. So I'm going to read now from one source, which is WebMD. The best source. The best source, buddy. This is American (laughs) healthcare right here, WebMD. They sort of boiled it down to uh, what I gleaned from a lot of the other articles. Their article, by the way, is called Know When to Hold Them, which I thought was a great title. (laughs) Nice. That's So um, I'll just read from that. This isn't the whole thing, but it's just a few selected paragraphs. Contrary to popular myth, it's impossible for parents to hold or respond to a baby too much child development experts say. Infants need constant attention to give them the foundation to grow emotionally, physically, and intellectually. Uh, Then, in particular about crying, it says, a challenge of the newborn is getting to know that the world is somehow reliable and trustworthy, that his or her basic needs will be met, says J. Kevin Nugent, director of the Brazelton Institute at Children's Hospital in Boston and a child psychologist. Responding to babies' cues isn't a matter of spoiling, he says. It's a matter of meeting the child's needs. A spoiled child is one that's manipulative, but babies don't learn until they're about nine months old that they can cry to get you to do something for them, says Dr. Barbara Howard, assistant professor of pediatrics at Johns Hopkins University. In fact, studies show that babies who develop that sense of security from their caregivers in the first year will be more independent, self-confident, and happier later. And finally, I'll read a bit about holding the child. With a technique called kangaroo care, 
neonatologists have found that holding a preterm baby closely as much as possible offers many benefits. Not only does the parent's body temperature keep the baby warm, but the closeness reduces crying, helps regulate breathing and heart rate, improves weight gain, and results in a better rate of growth. So the long and short of this is, especially before the child's nine months old, if they cry, just pick them up or solve their problem. And Hmm. don't give them even a moment to question, like, am I going to get help this time? Just uh, dive in there and do all that you can. That makes sense. I guess a, a thought that I had about this is that, you know, it's impossible to put yourself in the shoes of the baby because for one thing he doesn't have shoes baby doesn't have any shoes yet but for another thing it's just it's so hard to um conceive of what that life must be that everything you experience is the first time and obviously Mm. from our perspective we look at it as oh i cry and they pick me up i'm playing a little game but the baby can't formulate that kind of logical progression You know, the baby can have a little stimulus response, understanding and can develop habits and things. But I think the baby's learning really, really fundamental things right out of the gate, which are things like, I'm terrified, help me. And then when he cries out in that instance, is he getting help or is he not? And then he's learning things more about like trusting other human beings. And um, as it said about holding, especially with preterm babies, the baby's not even supposed to be out in the world yet, which, you know, my, my kid was a C-section. It looks like you're heading that way too. So by necessity, there'll be a few weeks early. And um, then you think, well, psychologically that baby needs help as the article says, uh, you know, with regulating breathing and their heart rate and and this sort of mm. thing. So anytime you can hold them close, they're getting that fuller experience of, um, you know, how to just live in the very basic ways. Hmm. Anyway, that's my wrap up on um, knowing to hold them. And it turns out that nine months, they say nine months is about when you can start to think like, are you trying to pull one over on me, you little kid? Like that kind of, you know, throw something on the floor just so you pick it up every time. Um, right. That's when that sort of game can come into play. But prior to nine months, it's not on any baby's radar. Interesting. Yeah. I was listening to a uh, another podcast on child psychology a while back, and they, they covered this topic quite thoroughly and how it's like kids need need that nurturing in the beginning because they need to develop that trust with you as the caregiver. Mm hmm. And if you let them down like that, you could cause distrust with them later on. Yeah, I can see that as something that needs to be built over time and um, something that you should uh, put effort into. Oh, I wanted to mention one exception, which is a bit of an extreme case, but it's nice Mm. for everybody's mental well-being to keep in mind. It says, in the first year, always do what you can. But especially if you feel like you're going to lose it and throw them out the window, you should definitely put them down and walk out of the room. Cautions Dr. Howard. People need to know it's normal to feel that way. It's just that you run out of steam. So that's sort of the only exceptional case is if you are on like, you know, hour 36 of being awake straight and the baby's been crying and then you're just about to break down, then feel free to let them cry for a few minutes while you gather yourself in the next room. But that's sort Mm -hmm. of the only the only time that it's advisable. This is kind of an interesting topic to me, like your own mental well-being in this process. You're so focused on the baby, I'm sure, like... Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys are with your, her parents, so mm-hmm. it's probably a little bit easier to get the time you need. But in in some situations, I'm sure like you don't even think about yourself half the time. People aren't even eating all their meals. Yeah. I think it's important to maybe 
yeah. make sure you focus on yourself a bit more. Someone was asking me about, you know, like the classic question of what's it like to be a dad and what's the parenting like and everything. And I've, you know, got my two weeks of experience now, but uh, <laughs> I have told a few people and I might live to regret this, but it's very easy. And uh, I think, <laughs> I think the reason that it gets a reputation as being hard is, I mean, for one thing, we're on easy mode because we've got a four parent household and mm. it's a nice warm house. Uh, we've got like a new, you know, minivan sort of vehicle so that we can take the baby anywhere with ease without worrying. We, we've got time off work. So mm. we're just doing it as easy as you could possibly do it. So that's, that's one reason I say it's easy. But the other reason is that if I were like 21 or 22 and I had a kid and I, you know, at that age, I think you still have more of that FOMO. Like you want to go out to every party and you want to be with your mm. friends and stuff. And now, wow. um, the best plans are broken plans. You know, like when you have an event scheduled and then somebody says, oh, we got to cancel that. And you're like, oh, I can just stay at home. Thank God. You know, like <laughs> that's what I live for. So uh, it's also it, in my personality, I like to take care of things on a list. You know, I come right. home and I've got a list of tasks that I need to accomplish. So when the baby shows up, it's a list of a huge number of new tasks. And there's mm -hmm. a sense of satisfaction that comes along with it. So just on a personal, emotional level, I've got all the support in the world. So that's probably more than half of it. But I mm. would definitely say that I felt more satisfied in the last couple of weeks because you've got full on dependence coming at you from this baby. And mm -hmm. everything that you do is necessary to keep that baby alive and healthy. And mm. so when you bathe that baby, you're like, I did a good job nice or when you feed the baby the whole bottle you're like oh took care of another one awesome and then mm. what else in your day-to-day -day life prior to that or aside from that is checking the box in such a essential kind of a way you know like mm. if you finish a spreadsheet or something you're not like oh i kept that person alive you know like it never <laughs> works out like that unless you're a doctor or something so it's like extra level of satisfaction on the things that you do. And for me, I think that's made my mental well-being better than it was before. You have me a little concerned. Oh, yeah. Because I'm not task oriented. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, we won't have any parents here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I feel like <laughs> I'm, you're going to hear the opposite end of this in a couple yeah. of weeks. <laughs> yeah. You're playing on medium for sure. Um, I'm right. sure that there's like... <laughs> a single mother out there who already has a couple of kids and then like has a new baby and has to keep working and that sort of thing. And that's like uber hard mode. I can't even imagine yeah. what that would be like. I don't know how you would no. manage it. Um, but with no, our no cushy idea. situation and sort of my predisposition, uh, I think Moe will get right into it because Moe loves a, a list of tasks, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think she'll do fine. It's more the, uh, the C-section that I'm worried about. Moe has mm -hmm. a tendency to kind of push herself through kind of whatever issue it is. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like I'll have to be like the tamper there be like, uh, yeah. Oh, slow down. Nope. I got this. I can do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I always tell my wife, no matter what, uh, she's doing the majority of the work because there's some, mm. you know, like breastfeeding, for example, you just have to dedicate yourself to that. You can't yeah. cut corners on it or whatever. So then she's by default doing the lion's share of it. So mm -hmm. then I tell her like, yeah, just give me things, give me tasks, like tell me mm -hmm. to go 
make a tea or tell me to go do whatever or help you yeah. up or just any way that I can help. Cause I'm the best I could ever do is just approach 50%. And that's what the maximum effort. So yeah, I've tried to put myself more in that position too, of uh, just helping out. That's good. That's all we can do. Yeah. Literally that's all we can do. Mm. So segment part two, the placenta, the placenta. Let's get into <laughs> that. This is sort of a correction. I feel hmm. very foolish because in the last episode, I, I think I said the placenta can move around. Um, mm. What I meant by that, it sounds ridiculous because the placenta is affixed to the uh, to the wall of the uterus, whatever that's called, the uterine wall or something. It's just that the placenta can be in different locations. And the placenta can sometimes attach itself early in the pregnancy and then the uterus expands and then the placenta sort of looks as though it's more toward the top when it in the beginning it was more toward the bottom. So you mm. can sort of um, get some what appears to be motion, but it is still affixed. Uh, right. But as you were saying last time, the uh, placenta 99 times out of 100 or, or more is just right at the top where it needs to be. And then there are other extenuating circumstances and, and cases where it, it's not that way. So I wanted to read this uh, paragraph or two from what to expect when you're expecting about the placenta position. It says, think your baby is the only thing moving around in your uterus? Not so. Like a fetus, a placenta can move around during pregnancy too. It doesn't actually pick up and relocate, but it does appear to migrate upwards as the lower segment of the uterus stretches and grows. Though an estimated 10% of placentas are in the lower segment in the second trimester and an even larger percentage before week 14, the vast majority move into the upper segment by the time delivery nears. If this doesn't happen and the placenta remains low in the uterus, partially or completely covering the cervix, the mouth of the uterus, a diagnosis of placenta previa is made. This complication occurs in very few full-term pregnancies, about 1 in 200. So that's the information I have on the location of the placenta. Just wanted to straighten that out before we get into segment number three. Let's talk KiwiCo. Yeah, I'm interested to hear more about these. So we discussed KiwiCo a few episodes back, and it's sort of a um, toy slash project delivery service um, for basically any age of kid. Um, and you pay a monthly or yearly fee, and they'll send you a box every one or two months in the mail with some sort of STEM-related activity. And Mark, what is STEM? Science, technology, engineering, and math. I think uh, we forgot to cover this in a previous episode, so wanted to make sure we, we explained that. Yeah, it's like um, getting them to think logically or build something and something somewhat educational. And before, we didn't have a firm handle on the pricing, but I went ahead mm -hmm. and sort of made an account and registered and stuff and then got the pricing info. When you're dealing with a newborn, uh, KiwiCo offers something called the Panda Crate, and this is between zero and 24 months. Mm -hmm. And I went ahead and maxed everything out. I thought I'll pay for the two years all at once in the lump sum, which is the best discount. So sure. this is as cheaply as you can do it. Uh, so for the crate itself, it's 48,028 yen or $418.80. And that's for 24 months. Okay, so it comes out to about 2,000 yen a month? Yeah, it's actually 2,001 yen per month, uh, which is nice. 17.45 per month in dollars. And uh, that's not a bad price to pay. Uh, the thing about yeah. the Panda Crate, though, is that they send you two months worth in one box. Oh, okay. 
So you'll get one box that theoretically has like two different toys or two different activities. Uh, hmm. So it's 2000 yen a month or 4,000 yen per box in the, in the Panda crate territory. Gotcha. The thing is if you're in the U S it's free shipping, but if you're in Japan, you've got to pay about 800 yen per box for shipping uh, or 695 hmm. USD. Uh, but that's every country's different. So you have to look that up on their website. Right. Then uh, there's a little bit of an upsell. They make a book that goes along with each crate that you receive. And the book is sort of like, it's a children's book, but it covers the same topic or talks about the same project that you've made and maybe has mm. some little characters involved. And that seems fun. You know, you read the book and you build the project and you read the book a few more times as they play with it. And that must be a nice little interactive thing. Hmm. If you want to add the book, though, it's per crate, it's 1,141 yen or 995 in US dollars. So about 10 bucks for each. So book. the toy that you're getting mm-hmm. for, let's say, a six month old mm-hmm. gets a book. Yeah, there will be some sort of book that covers hmm. the same theme or topic as whatever the project is or whatever the toy is. Is the toy for a six-month-old that detailed that you need a book to go with it? Certainly not. Like the toys at that age are often just, you know, like a little wooden tray that has four shapes, like a circle and a square. And then the kid can, maybe six months old, try to match those up and insert them or something. And then the book might also introduce shapes, you know, that sort of just ties in. Okay. Then that brings the grand total. Say you want to max it out. You want to go deluxe, pay for two years at once. You want to get all the books and you've got your shipping included. That means in yen, you're going to pay 71,333 yen. That's for two years or $621.60. So how does that strike you? That's, I mean, more or less like $621. That's like 310 a year. So you're coming up on like a dollar a day. I mean, it seems high, but to think about two years of a kid's life how much are you going to spend in toys i'm likely to i'm yeah i'm I'm inclined to think like over a thousand dollars easy for two years that's not including like birthdays and and christmas stuff but just like random stuff over the years so another thing that i've read about kiwico is that um you'll build the project but it's kind of like you know something you might make in school like oh yeah this is a this is how a guitar works. Uh, you put some strings on a box. And so like the cardboard box that it comes in, you would wrap some elastic bands around it and then you could play it. But then those break and the box gets set on and then you throw it away in a couple of days. So sure. sometimes it's like a, a nice wooden toy. Sometimes it's something you keep. And then sometimes it's something that sort of gets destroyed by a child pretty quickly. Um, yeah. So it's more about experience, I think, and about learning something. Well, in that case, then I'm, you know, I I wouldn't want this for a newborn, especially, but like even up through toddler, maybe mm-hmm. like elementary school age, this would seem more beneficial. This is more or less the same conclusion that I came to. I was thinking, you know, when a kid is especially just a few weeks old and even up to say six months, eight months, something like that, everything that they do is a learning experience. You know, every time you talk to them or the books that you're already reading them or the toys that they already have, it's all a totally new world. And then Mm. I think as they get older, you can teach them something like, oh, this is how a circuit works or, you know, that's something to actually learn 
Uh, this is how mm. mechanical parts interact with each other. That's something that they could glean from the KiwiCo box. So I thought when I saw the final price tag and I was about to click buy, I was like, I don't know if it's really worth it at like <laughs> two months. So at the very least, I'll delay for say nine months or maybe a year and then reassess mm. when the time comes. But uh, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to put my recommendation of KiwiCo on hold, especially in the early days. Yeah, it does seem too early. Maybe after a year would be good. Yeah, I read another parent uh, writing a review of KiwiCo. They said that they liked it until their kids started getting into other things at school and getting into sports. And then sort of all their time oh. was taken up by their hobbies that they chose for themselves and that they developed and they kind of lost interest. I forget the mm. age that that parent said, but something like seven years old, eight years old, then mm. life kind of takes over for that kid. So I think that there's a ceiling and a floor to KiwiCo. And um, yeah. it's probably not something that's good to buy into right away and then keep for, you know, 15 years, but more play mm -hmm. it by ear. That's the KiwiCo wrap up. Let's move on to segment number four, photo sharing. Yeah. So you guys have landed on a, on an app that you and your family are using, correct? Yes. Everybody's on board. Everybody's nice. loving it. And we are going with family album and, uh, Family album's nice for one reason. If you download it from the Japanese app store, it's in Japanese. Or if you download it from the U.S. app store, it's in English. So the Japanese family can get in there. The Western family can get in there and they can both have the same experience. Okay. Does it have an option for it to be switched between languages? Or are you locked into a language you downloaded in? Excellent question. Um, I'm just flipping through my family album app right now. And in the settings, yes, there's language. So you can flip it around as you like. Okay, that's good. I really hate that when you get a, one app in one area, but the other area, it's a different language and you can't switch it. It's just a pain in the ass. So that's good to know. Pretty easy to, to get through. Um, and the great thing about Family Album, it's more or less meant to be sort of a Facebook replacement for kids. And mm. uh, you have to invite people uh, by email. You send them an email and then they click the link and they're allowed in. Uh, and it shows you things like at the top of the family album page all the time. It shows you who exactly was on family album and how long ago they were on it. So you can just see who was looking and when. And the comments nice. are all, um, you know, just within the family with within whoever you choose. Uh, there is a bit of a back and forth, like the Japanese family will comment in Japanese. The English family will comment in English. And so oh, interesting. Sometimes they may miss each other on a comment or something or two different sets of uh, conversations. So your family's on. on this and Ayumi's family. Yeah, my wife's just her mother and father. Uh, so okay. they're vastly outnumbered by my, say, <laughs> 10 or so family members who are on your, it. Your clan. <laughs> yeah, the whole clan's on. And my family really, uh, they comment, but the comments are nice because they're just a line or two. And so... Thus far, my in-laws have been taking it as like an English practice experience because sometimes it's hmm. as simple as cute and then they can read the word cute and understand it. And they're like, hey, I'm participating. I'm right in there. Nice. I got it. So yeah, that's, that's good. pretty good. They probably get like 90% of the comments. Hmm. Uh, so the question you had before about family album was like, do you own the photos and what are the privacy policies and things of that nature? Yeah. Uh, I dug into family albums um, policy. Privacy policy. Yeah, and uh, I'll read a few of those. One, it says your album is completely private. All photos, videos you upload to the app belong to you, and they can only be viewed by you and the people you invite. 
There are no third-party ads in the app, and we don't share your data with advertisers. Any photos, videos you delete from the app are deleted from our servers. If you delete Mm. photos or videos from the app, they're automatically removed from our servers within 30 days. In general, we retain your personal data until we receive a request from you to delete your account. Once we receive this request, your personal data will be deleted from our servers within 30 days. So at least from what they communicate, what they put out into the world, they seem to prioritize privacy in that way. Yeah, it really sounds like it. And the app is just very smooth and easy to use. And um, I'd say the only hurdle is getting people into it. Uh, With Family Album, you have to choose, is the person who views it going to view it through the app or are they going to go to the website? And you have to send an app invite or a computer invite. Oh, That's been the only trouble is you'll talk to your great aunt somewhere and you know say are you looking at this on the app or are you looking at it in a browser and then they might not know right uh, so you have to sort of take it case by case and sort that out and then get them the right link but once they get in it's very smooth sailing okay that's good and that was the family album update i think that's all hmm. of our all of our segment time today so much info yeah i do have a question for you if you have the time to answer Yes, sir. Let's go to my question for you is. So my question for you is in your vast two week experience of parenting now, do Mm -hmm. you feel like there's any like hobbies or things that you do in your time that you're definitely going to have to like drop? now that the kid's in the picture? Yeah, that's a good question. I was brainstorming some my question for you is for you as sort of a <laughs> trivia. And one of them was going to be like, do you think I have more time for or less time for? And then list off a few things. And the key is that it's always less time for. That's the, sure. <laughs> that's the game. Um and some of them are even, you think like, well, maybe uh, like podcasts, for example, like there's a lot of downtime with the baby where you're just trying to rock mm-hmm. the baby and get them to sleep. But at this point, and this might change, but at this point, I feel that it's just irresponsible to like pop the headphones in. <laughs> You've got the baby, you know, <laughs> that you're supposed to be like bonding with in that time. So mm-hmm. I sort of bar myself from really using phones or computers or headphones or whatever. And I try to um, focus in on the kid. So like mm. I'm immediately i got way behind in podcasts um i am way behind in chess i'm pretty Mm. much behind in everything but uh that stuff like matters so little obviously compared to what you're now doing Mm -hmm. that um you don't really lament it i don't think it's not too big of a deal sure sure i'm sure even as time goes on maybe you'll pick these things back up and start again i was just curious what in the the immediate has been dropped from your yeah kind of yeah for sure i'm happy that i've managed to keep up with a few things like uh getting this podcast in and i write a newspaper Mm. column every month for a newspaper in the u.s and i am surprised that i managed to crank that out uh in this last week like in the (laughs) you know one hour window here two hour window there i got one of those together um so yeah i've i've sort of picked and chosen the things that i want to spend more time on I can still get done but then a lot of it has fallen away um one other thing another little caveat about all that is that we're not living in our house so when we get back to our house and I get back more in my old routine 
then stuff mm. might start creeping in. Like I haven't watched a moment of television in the last say week and a half uh, since gotcha. we've had the baby here um, because I'm at the in-laws house and I'm not like in charge of their TV and I don't want to just, you know, throw stuff on and, uh, and that sort and of it's thing. It's all variety shows, right? Yeah. It's all like your standard <laughs> issue variety shows. <laughs> Uh, but once we get home, I imagine I'll pop the old Netflix on the big screen, watch an episode of this or that. I don't know. But um, as for now, I'm yeah not doing any of it. Gotcha. Strange circumstance here. Um, yeah. Do you foresee? I know your number one hobby is board gaming, I would imagine. Mm. Well, it's seasonal, my hobbies. Mm-hmm. So once like spring, summer come around, then I'm primarily like cycling and mm-hmm. doing stuff with, you know, bicycles. So... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. At least in the very short term, you've got so much stuff to do, like baby-wise and such the schedule yeah. to keep that you can't really devote chunks of time that it takes to do either board games or cycling. So those will probably no. fall away. But then I think they're the types of things you can easily get back into if you can manage to get like half a day to yourself. I think I'll be able to get out on the bike at least once a day. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the first week, obviously, but like mm-hmm. after a, like a couple weeks, 10 kilometers or so, that's pretty easy because that's less than an hour. Yeah, for sure. But a board game, I mean, that's that's much more time consuming. One board game, I mean, the setup alone sometimes is 30 minutes. Yeah. So. <laughs> we, we should also say that you've had people stay the night at your house <laughs> to continue board games the following day. You're a, a yeah. true board gamer. Yeah. Those are the good days. Those yeah. days are long gone. <laughs> yeah, that's all over now. At least till the kid's old enough to participate. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the day. That'll be really nice because you've basically introduced a new player into your life, you know? Oh, yeah. I've already got the games planned out for like what age that he grows into. I'll be like, all right, we're getting this game here. We'll get this game here. Perfect. <laughs> oh, but you've got very meticulously organized board games. I've noticed. I do. Yeah. I feel that eventually pieces will be lost or you'll come home and you'll see four board games overturned in the floor and all of them mixed up. I am expecting this at some point. I'm obviously going to be upset, but I'm not yeah. going to be like enraged. That's good. You have pre come to terms with it. Yeah. Um, well, we've got a little bit of Japanese today. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is something that um, I only learned about this in the last week or so, and Mm. um, it only came up because I've been showing photos of my uh, baby to people, and the baby is half Japanese, half Western, of course, and I'm showing um, pictures Mm. to a lot of uh, Japanese or Asian people, and I noticed that uh, very frequently they comment on the eyelids of the child. Weird. And this is not something I had ever considered before. But I learned two Japanese words as a result. Uh, There's hitoi, and the hito, you'll probably recognize to mean one or single, and then the Mm. futai, and futa often means two or double. So hitoi, Hmm. futai, these could be translated as single lid and double lid, as in like eyelid. And the um, hitoi eyelid is when the eyelid is just one sort of flat like eyelid, uh, oh, without right. a division in it. Like when you open the eye, it doesn't create a line, basically. There's no crease. Yeah, there's no crease there. And then fatai 
has a crease when you open the eye. And this is one of those like standard of beauty things that I had never conceived of before. I'd never heard about. I had never seen anyone Mm. talk about it. And I don't recognize it myself as that one is better than the other. But um, it turns out that fatai is desirable if you have the crease. And if you have no crease, it's considered undesirable. At least that's what they say. So Western people have the crease. I mean, it's just like a feature of the Western face. We're going to have it for sure. And then in Asia, I guess it's, I don't know the percentages, but it's like 50-50. You know, you might or you might not. Uh, Hmm. My wife happens to also have the crease. So she's a Thai. And then Hmm. we now have a child and that child is obviously Thai. When he opens his eyes, you see a little crease above his eye. Hmm. So, so many people have commented like, oh, he's got the crease. Oh, he's Thai. Oh, it's so cute or something. And I did not see that coming. I was really blown away by it. My expectation is that they'll just focus on the nose first thing. Like, oh, look at that foreign nose or something. Because yeah. it's usually yeah. what everybody says about me first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which they could do in my baby's case. He's got a cute nose, but it's definitely like got a bridge and it's uh, I think more pronounced in a cute way but, for sure. But uh, yeah, they went right in. A few people went right in for the eyelids. And to me, I don't know if you've ever had this thought before, and this is going to sound strange, but like, Do you ever think like a giraffe looks at another giraffe and they're like, damn girl, you know, like that. But then to us, we just see 10 giraffes and they're all identical. But there must be within the giraffe community like, oh, look at the discoloration at the top of the ears. That's what I'm talking about. You know, like that sort of thing. And we would just have absolutely no concept of it. Are we talking about giraffe erotica right now? Yeah, we're talking about some real giraffe fanfic that I'm working on in my free time. This and, is the uh, article you write? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not published anywhere. Just keep it to myself. Oh, okay. uh, but man, it's like I often wonder like if aliens come down and then you have to explain standards of mm-hmm. beauty to them. They'll be like, for real? It's the... The, the eyelid crease is one of the things. And I mean, that's a, an Asian one, but there are a million of them sure. in the Western culture as well. Like um, take like Jason Statham, who's a big mm. macho guy, Bruce Willis with the shaved head, these big macho guys, but then right. get a big macho woman with a shaved head. And suddenly she's not like, you know, the heartthrob <laughs> that like your Bruce Willis is and vice versa. Um, so mm. then how, yeah, it, it's impossible to explain this stuff. Right. Yeah, I guess so. Now you got me thinking about aliens. Like, what do aliens think is are beautiful? And they got to have some weird stuff going on. Yeah, like, um, look at the ovipositor on her. That's what I'm talking <laughs> Did you just about. Make that word up? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going. I'm going insect <laughs> vocabulary now. Um, oh, or you know, it doesn't have to be animal like that. Like. Um, I'd put my stamen all over that pistol. (laughs) It could be anything. (laughs) Who knows? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's, that's all. I've always wondered about that sort of thing. Not that I'm a big animal perv. Let's not get that rumor started. No. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry to bring the giraffe erotica up. Okay. But that's the uh, that's the hitoi and the fatai. Interesting. And I think we've got just enough time for some good old fashioned dad jokes. Oh, okay. Do you ha- you made one this week, didn't you? 
I stumbled upon a dad joke in life, and uh, it got a good <laughs> reaction here at the house. It's in Japanese, but it's in my Japanese, so it's very simple. And okay. I'll just put it out there in Japanese so people can appreciate it, and then I'll do the hard work of explaining why it might be funny. <laughs> okay. uh, so the setup is, insert your baby's name, but I'll just say Akachan for baby. So Akachan no skina sushi wa nan desu ka? Which is, of course, what is a baby's favorite sushi? Right. <laughs> and the answer is, buddy, buddy. Oh, hilarious. So the double entendre <laughs> upon which this joke hinges is uh, buddy is a very popular uh, sushi, right. which is yellowtail fish. So mm-hmm. buddy is like many people's favorite sushi. It's my wife's favorite sushi. And then buddy, buddy is the sound effect of a baby shitting its diaper. So <laughs> every time the baby audibly craps his pants, people say, oh, booty, 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 stop. So you've got booty as a fish and booty, booty as the onomatopoeia for crapping yourself. And they just flow nicely together. So the baby's That's... favorite sushi, booty, booty. Nice. That's a good little Japanese dad joke for all of you. Uh, but what about... A God-fearing English dad joke. What do we have there? All right. Well, I, I stepped away from Tolkien this week. Oh, thank God. And going straight into Star Wars. Oh, no. <laughs> I might have a chance if it's the original trilogy. I might have a chance. Yeah, yeah, no, nothing specific. Just generals. So, what do you call Chewbacca when he has chocolate stuck in his hair? <laughs> um, is it not just like Chewy-Baka? Nope. Okay, that's bad. Um, I don't know. What do you call him? A chocolate chip Wookiee. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Much better. Okay, one more. Why do stormtroopers listen to Megan Trainer? Who's Megan Trainer? First of all, <laughs> I've never heard the name Megan Trainer in my life. <laughs> Is this like Taylor Swift or something? Um, yeah, kinda, kinda. Okay, okay. More hip hop. But, yeah. Okay, and oh, I bet she has a song title that I'm supposed to know. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, because they're all about that bass, no rebels. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> oh, bass and rebels both in there. I have heard yeah. all about that bass, no treble. Uh, okay, yep. so there's somebody in the world named Megan Trainer, and she did that song. <laughs> I got it. That's all I, I mean, got today. If she had ever done anything featuring Nicki Minaj, I might be in the know, but... Uh, right. Well, I, I want to stay away from that, because you know all that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my strong suit. No basketball, no chess, no Nicki Minaj. <laughs> Those are all my bases. Those are literally all my bases. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I think that'll do it for us, eh? Uh, I think so, yeah. All right, well, thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at jpopspodcast or by email at info at the jpops.com. And we'll talk to you next time. Later. See you later.